Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Well, this series, uh, we've called it, titled it, Keep Your Heart. And it's based out of Proverbs something. Let me see here. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And it says this. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And another part where Jesus is talking uh, to the disciples and he's doing some teaching, he says that it is out of the heart that all kinds of vile things come. Envy, lust, murder, adultery, theft, all of these things are issues that don't spring from the outside, from our personalities. They actually spring from the inside, from the heart. And so it's these vile things that corrupt us. And that's why Proverbs tells us to keep our heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. So what is it telling us? The Bible is telling us that if we can learn the art of searching our own hearts and the art of keeping our heart with all diligence and keeping the vile things out of our hearts, then it says that all the other things of life fall into place. Meaning this, that if our heart is right, our vision is going to be right. If our heart is right, then our mind, our thoughts are going to be clear and they're going to be pure and they're going to be good. That if our hearts are right, then every other issue of life, when we come into situations that are difficult and that are hard, maybe we lose a loved one or maybe we're dealing with a hard boss at work or we're dealing with another difficult person. When we face those issues, if our heart is kept clean and right, then we can handle those situations. Our reaction to those situations will be right. So it's important that we keep our hearts with all diligence, amen? And so, so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at things that violate our hearts, those hidden things that stay hidden in the corners of our hearts that sometimes we don't even realize are there. And it's, it's these things that actually come out of us that violate us. And so we're looking at these things so that, we, we, that way we can expose them and deal with them so that way our heart and the, we can face the issues of life correctly. Amen. So we began last week with one of the most sneaky things that corrupts our hearts. We started talking about envy. We were talking about envy and today we're going to continue on. Envy is so gross that we need two Sundays to talk about it. Amen. <laughs> envy. My favorite definition of envy is this. Envy is the pain we feel over another person's success. Envy is the pain we feel over another person's success. Before I go any further while I'm thinking of it, um, I want to encourage you all, there's a book out there by Bob Sorge that is titled Envy. Uh, In fact, a lot of the information that you heard last week and this week uh, came from that book, uh, Envy, from Bob Sorge. So I encourage you all, it's an incredible book. It's it's not an easy read. It's an easy read as far as pages. It's only a hundred and some pages. It's not a very big book, but it's a hard read as far as, man, it's going to step on your toes. 
and it's going to expose things that are corrupting your heart that you didn't realize were there. So I encourage you all to read that book, Envy, if you are a big reader. If you're not a big reader, I still encourage you to read it anyways. But Envy, once again, Envy is the pain we feel over another person's success. Sociologists have actually come up with a term that goes along with envy, and it's called limited good. And what limited good is, is it's this idea that we have in the back of our minds that there is only so much good in the world, right? That there's only a certain level of goodness in the world. And when you see somebody else receive of that goodness, then way we perceive that is, is that there's less goodness in the world for me, right? So the term again is limited good. It's that there's only a limited amount of goodness. And if somebody else receives goodness in their life, then it's less goodness for me. And therefore their success is our pain. Their success uh, they're, they're going up the mountain means we're going down the mountain. And that's the subconscious thing that many of us see or view the world that is if they receive something good, then there is less good in the world for us. It's this mentality. It's the crab bucket mentality. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say the crab bucket mentality? So in a crab bucket, I get this knowledge because I, of my many years working on a ship collecting crabs in the middle of Indiana. <laughs> the Missinawal is full of, of crabs. No, uh, the crab bucket mentality. Here's what it is. If you look at a crab bucket, they never put a lid on it, right? They just throw the crabs in a bucket and all the crabs stay there. Here's why, because when one crab tries to escape, all the other little jerks in the bucket pull them down and won't let him. Right? If, if you YouTube it, it's hilarious to watch. You've got this huge bucket of crabs, and when one tries to get out, the other one swarm it and pull it back down into the bucket. And this is the mentality we find ourselves living in, is a crab bucket mentality that we see one of our brothers or sisters trying to climb out of that bucket, right? They're doing something good. Something good happens to them. They're successful in their work. They're successful in their business. They're successful in their ministry. And what happens is, is we come along and we try to cut their legs out from underneath them and pull them back down into our slump, into our reality, because if we can't win, surely they're not allowed to win, right? And what is it that causes us to do that? It's envy. It's because when they succeeded, there was this little thing on the inside of us that hurt on the inside. We can't put our finger on it. We don't know why. We don't know how to express it. We don't know how to put words to it. But there was something that happened that made us feel pain. And our reaction to that pain is to reach up and to try to pull that person back down. And there's many ways that we do that, try to pull them back down. And we're going to get into some of that today. But it, um, there's a really great example of this in the Bible. Many great examples of this in the Bible. But one that we're going to look at today is in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to start here in verse 1. Jesus is speaking in parables here and he tells this story. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a, for a denarius a day, 
he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out at the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into my vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found another or others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because one, no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, call the landowners and give them I'm sorry, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarii. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise each received a denarii. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying these that these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us and have borne the burden, equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am not, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the denarii? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give you, I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I'm good? Since I botched up reading that, I'm gonna re-explain that whole parable to you. So you have this landowner who is hiring workers into his field and he hires several workers at different parts of the day. He hires one set of workers that work 12 hours in the day. He hires another set of workers that works nine hours, another set that works six, another set that works three, and another set that works only one hour. When the end of the day comes, they all come up to, to get their day's wage, their pay, which was a denarii, right? And Seth, they had the people who worked for an hour go first. The person who worked for an hour received the denarii and the people in the back see that he received a denarii and they think, oh, awesome. If he received a denarii, then that means he's gonna pay me more than what they received. Only problem is they get up in line, pulled out their hand and they receive the same amount that the person who worked for only an hour receives. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd feel probably a little bit like the guy who just worked 12 hours and received the same amount of money as the guy who worked one, right? How many of you would, many of you maybe deal with that now. You're the guy at work who does everything. <laughs> and there's that one person, right, who does the very least, but you get paid the same amount of money. How many, don't raise your hand, but just in case, <laughs> just in case the, that person's in this room this morning. But you all know what I'm talking about. You know, they were upset because they received the same amount of wage. But here's what God is trying to say. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. Oftentimes, we look for God to be fair, but he's not fair. He's not fair. God is not fair. God is good. We sang about it this morning, right? We didn't go, you are fair, right? <laughs> You're fair. 
you're equal in everything you do, right? No, it's not the goodness of God, or it's not the fairness of God, it's the goodness of God, right? God is good, he's not fair, and I don't know about you, I'm actually, actually pretty grateful that he's not fair. Because if he was fair, I wouldn't be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I wouldn't be welcome at the table, right? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to say that I stand here today sin-free because of the blood of Jesus, right? God is not fair, because if he was fair, none of us would be where we're at. God is instead good. He is good, and his goodness is what we celebrate, amen? I don't want him to be fair. I want him to be good. The Bible says that it rains on the just and on the unjust. You farmers that are here today, many of them are out harvesting, I think, right now. Um, but you farmers that are here today, it rains on your fields just as much as it rains on the field of the guy who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't it? It rains on the just and on the unjust. We say an eye for an eye, but the Father instructs us that if someone hits us on our right cheek, we turn and give them our left. God is not fair, he's good. And sometimes he is good to others and when he is good to others, we have a choice to either be bitter and let our eye be evil or to celebrate the goodness, realizing that he has enough goodness to go around. Sometimes we think that the world is limited. God is not limited. His goodness is unlimited and he has enough for everyone. And so when we see somebody else who is experiencing the goodness of God, we don't have to look at them with envy, thinking that because he's good to them, he won't be good to me. But we can look at them and celebrate their goodness because if he is good to them, then that means he's going to be good to me as well. Amen? I've seen this so much in my our own life, in fact, even yesterday. So I have three kids, right? So I know what envy looks like. <laughs> so yesterday, Malachi got invited to one of his buddy's birthday parties at Urban Air, which is a huge trampoline park. I see some of you shaking your heads. Some of the dads in here are going, yeah, I know Urban Air. It's, I like it as much as my kids do, right? Yes, yeah, okay. Um, but he got invited to go to this party at Urban Air with his buddies. And so we drove him down to Indy or to Noblesville and the girls stayed with us in the car and we went out to eat. We did some things, but listen, they were not thrilled about not being able to go to urban air and their brother got to go on the trampoline park. Right? So three hours goes by and, and, and we go pick up Malachi. He gets in the car and here's what happened. It's hilarious. Here's what happened. He gets in the car and he starts telling us about all of the awesome things that he got to do here at Urban Air and jumping up and down. And you know what the girl's response was? This was Maylie's response. She was like, well, I got to have Coke today. Because <laughs> normally they get Sprite, right? We let them have Coke. Now, well, I got to have Coke today. Oh, oh, oh. And Malachi's like, oh, that's awesome. I mean, I got to play in VR, right? Like, I got to do, uh, got to jump on the trampolines. I got to jump in a ball pit. Oh, well, we went to, we went to Meyer, <laughs> you know, like, like, like she couldn't just celebrate the fact that her brother got to have a fun day. No, no, she had to try to one-up him with Coke, right? No, like, you got to jump on the, I got caffeine, right? <laughs> 
I got caffeine. The other, the, I guess last week, uh, Kayla Hyatt, I think is teaching, isn't she? She's teaching. Well, she was teaching last week as well, and she was asking for prayer requests. And, and uh, at this point in time, we had kind of, we were trying to figure out whether or not Malachi was going to be able to go to the trampoline park for this birthday party. And so they were thinking about all that. Well, Eden's prayer request was that she would be able to go to a trampoline park, right? So, so even last week, the envy was already brewing, right? Right? You got to jump up. Well, I got, I got caffeine. So I know, I know what envy looks like. This is what envy looks like, right? We try to one up the other person. We try to, try to make them think, listen, I've got it better than you, right? We can't just celebrate the goodness of another person. There's another person in the Bible that had kids, a few more than us. He had 12 of them. His name was Jacob or Israel, as he was later called. Jacob had 12 sons who would later on become the representatives for the 12 tribes of Israel. Though Jacob had 12 sons, he had one son in particular that he tended to show a lot of favoritism to. He was the favorite in the family. Do we have any other favorites in the family? You can raise your hand for that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Rub it in if you're the favorite. I'm the favorite in mine. It's all right. The youngest, youngest is usually the favorite, right? I'm the youngest in mine. So, okay. All right. There's a few coming up. There we go. You'll just say it. That's right. So Jacob had one, a kid that was his favorite. He didn't tell the rest of them, but it was obvious, right? It's always obvious, mom and dad, who's the favorite. So Jacob uh, favored Joseph above his other brothers. And one of the ways he did that is he offered Joseph a coat of many colors. Now this, this coat of many colors, back in the day, uh, the coats and the way your garments a lot of times represented what your, your status or your uh, reputation. And really it's the same, same today, maybe just not as much so, but, but your clothes kind of give your identity, right? And so, so he gave him this special, special coat of many colors. And the Bible actually tells us that his brothers hated him. Not, not we're just mad. The, they said that his brothers hated him because his father, their father gave him this coat of many colors. Must have been a pretty sweet coat, right? His brothers hated him because Joseph received the coat of many colors. Well, it doesn't end there. Joseph goes on and he, 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 he's asleep one night and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees uh, grain all around, uh, 12, 12 stalks of grain standing up. And he sees the one stalk of grain in the middle. And all of a sudden, all the other stalks of grain begin bowing to the one stalk of grain in the middle. And of course, Joseph, um, being the humble man that he was, goes and tells his brothers all about the dream and how they're going to bow down to him one day. This, of course, does not help the hatred that his brothers feel towards him. It actually fuels it, right? Joseph has another dream where 11 stars are bowing down to him and then the sun and the moon are also bowing down to him, which the sun and the moon represented his mom and his dad. And he goes and he rubs some more salt into the wound and tells them this dream. And by this time, the hatred of his brothers is at an all-time high. In fact, it tells us in uh, Genesis 37, it says that his brothers envied him. It flat out tells us in the Bible what they were dealing with, where their hatred came from. It didn't come because Joseph did something wrong. It was because Joseph was actually doing something right because there was all of this favor being lavished upon him. Joseph him and himself didn't do anything. But because of their hatred 
or because of their envy for their brother, it caused them to hate their brother, even though he did nothing to deserve it. So envy caused them to hate their brother. And as we learned last week, envy at its most mature stage leads to murder. Envy at its most mature stage leads to murder. Cain killed his brother Abel because he was jealous that Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and his wasn't. Saul threw spears at David because David was anointed to be king and Saul was losing that anointing. King Darius had other governors, including Daniel and other governors in the land. And Daniel was favored by the king and was successful. And all the other governors in the land became so jealous and envious of Daniel's success that they tricked the king into throwing Daniel into the lion's den and tried to kill him. Esau tried to kill Jacob because Jacob received the inheritance and sold his birthright because Esau sold his birthright to Jacob and therefore Esau became envious of Jacob's success and tried to kill him. And ultimately we see this in Jesus. The religious leaders became envious of Jesus's success in ministry and ultimately it led them to cause them to nail him to a tree. You see, envy may seem like it's not that big of a deal. Like, oh yeah, every now and then I'm jealous of another person, whoop-de-doo, right? I have other sins, I have other things that I'm dealing with that are a bigger deal. But the reality is, is envy, if allowed to fester, grows into other things. Ultimately, it can grow into murder. Envy is not a little thing. Envy is not a little thing. And we see this happen here with Joseph. His brothers are out working in a field. Joseph or uh, Jacob sends Joseph out to his brothers. And as Joseph is walking out, his brothers see him. And here's what they say. They say, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what becomes of his dreams then. Listen to the envy. Listen to what the full manifestation of envy is. Listen to what happens when we let envy fester in the recesses of our hearts. It turns into this ugly thing that we lose control. Many times in this story, in this specific story and in other stories of the Bible, we tend to view ourselves as Joseph, right? When we read this story, we see ourselves as Joseph. But sometimes I think we're the brothers. Sometimes I think we're not Joseph, we're actually the brothers in the story. Sometimes we're not David. Sometimes we're Saul throwing spears. Sometimes we're Abel and sometimes we're Cain. Sometimes we look like Jesus and other times we're the Pharisees. Scripture is not just meant, just a means to learn about God. Scripture is also a mirror that God holds up to show us who we are and what's hiding in our hearts. Sometimes 
when we read the story of Joseph or read the stories of David, when we read those things, we need to look at those stories and say, who am I in this story? Where is my heart being reflected in this story? And you know what? Sometimes it will be Joseph. Sometimes it will be that we are receiving that favor, right? And we can look at this story and see how Joseph walked through having to deal with envious brothers. But there's also the flip side of the coin where sometimes we have to look at it and realize, listen, I'm not Joseph. I'm acting like his 11 brothers right now. I have that envy in my heart right now. And I don't look like Joseph. I look like Reuben and Gad. And I look like all of the other brothers who are jealous of Joseph and who want to kill and bring down their brother, even though their brother did nothing wrong. They hate him for it. And so sometimes I think one of our greatest weapons in keeping our hearts with all diligence is allowing the scripture to not just be information about God, but allowing the scripture to be a mirror that reflects our image and the things that we're dealing with and allowing the scripture to expose the motives of our hearts, amen? So next time you read scripture, I want you to ask, who am I in this story? Who am I in this story? I think if we do this enough, we will find that we are often the hero less often than we think. And I think God will do some work in exposing our hearts. Amen. So in this story, let's picture ourselves as the brothers for a moment. Have you ever, have you ever just looked at somebody and thought, I just really don't like that person? Right? Like you're like, I, I really don't know why. I don't really talk to them very often. They've never done anything to me. You know, we've, we've, we don't even go to the same life group, right? Like, but I just don't like that person, and I, I don't know why. Have you, has anybody else ever done that? I'm not, again, I'm not going to make you raise your hand this morning, unless you really want to. Maybe it's, maybe it's confession time, right? It's just exposed sin. The Bible says if you're faithful, you expose your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive, right? No, but we've all done that before. We just can't put our finger on it. You know, Bob Sorge, who wrote the book Envy, he tells a story in there. He said he was, he was one day, he was flipping through a magazine, a Christian magazine. And he said uh, on the cover of the magazine was this, this well-known author named Max Licato. Many, I think if you haven't heard of Max Licato in here, are you a Christian? I don't know. But Max Licato. So Max Licato is a famous author. If you don't know, Bob Sorge also is a famous author and speaker and all of those things. So he sees, he sees Max Licato on the cover, and he's like, oh, okay, cool. He opens up, the, up, opens up a few pages. There's old Max again. Uh, his, his new book is, is being advertised. It's a number one bestseller on the New York Times list. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Flips the page a little more. There's Max once again. Now he is the headline of this major conference that is going on, and he's the main speaker. And he said, hey, he's just flipping through the pages, and every other page, there's Max Licato on the page. He said, and every time he saw it, he would just roll his eyes. There's Max again, you know? And he said, by the time he was done flipping through the magazine, he was just, he was sitting there and realizing his thoughts. He's like, man, I, I really don't like Max Licato. Like, I really don't like him. And he's like, he started thinking about that. And he's like, God, God, why am I experiencing that? He's like, I've never even been in the same room with Max Lickett. I've never said two words to the guy, but I don't like him. And the Lord exposed it. He said, you're envious. 
you're envious of Max Licato because it's not your book that's on the bestsellers list. You're not headlining the conference, right? And without even thinking about it, that little little tinge of pain called envy that was hiding in his heart expressed itself in hatred towards a person that he's never even been in the same room with. This is what envy does, is it hides itself, right? And, it, and then it causes us to have hatred for a person who has done nothing wrong. We may not physically kill somebody. I hope not. <laughs> We not ever, no, no I, I, I bet the statistics would tell us that there's probably a 0% chance in this room that somebody here is going to kill someone. But we may resent them. And according to Jesus, if we have hate in our hearts towards a brother, what does the scripture say? We have already murdered them in our hearts. That we may not physically kill somebody. But the Bible tells us if we have any ought against our brother, if we hate our brother, we have already murdered them in our hearts. Our envy can easily turn into bitterness. And before long, we have murdered an innocent person in our hearts. This is the danger of envy. It's the crab bucket. We have no reason to pull the other person down other than we wanted to be the ones coming out of the bucket. And a person we should be celebrating with, we instead want to see crucified, just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were studying day in and day out. They had the Torah memorized. They knew all of the signs of the Messiah, but they missed Jesus because of their jealousy towards him. Not only did they miss him, they crucified him the one that they had been waiting for because of the envy that was hidden inside their hearts. And here's the deal with envy. Envy and bitterness often doesn't end with you. When we get bitter, we spread it like a cancer. Think of it this way. Maybe, maybe envy for Joseph didn't begin in all 11 of the brothers. Maybe, it doesn't tell us, maybe the envy that the, 12, the 11 brothers had for Joseph began in one of them. And in that one, that envy was allowed to grow and then all of a sudden his mouth, envy starts coming out of his mouth and he starts telling his brothers, hey, man, he doesn't deserve that. Or, hey, hey, Joseph got this coat, but, but man, I saw him doing this. And, you know, all of these things start coming out. And before long, the envy that was in your own heart hidden has now come out of your mouth and spread to others. And your bitterness has now infected not just yourself, but those around you. The Pharisees' envy, look at this. The Pharisees' envy and bitterness towards Jesus caused one crowd who in one week before was yelling, Hosanna, to the very next week, that same crowd was yelling, crucify him. The same crowd that the Pharisees' envy and jealousy had so spread like a cancer throughout the community that they were praising him in one moment. And then the next moment, they were nailing him to a tree yelling, crucify. 
that envy, if not dealt with, is it doesn't just become your own issue. It becomes everyone else's issue around you. And it spreads like a cancer to those around you. Envy is not an isolated thing. Envy can be spread to others around us. If we go back to the story, we'll see that Joseph, Joseph's brothers end up not killing him. Thanks to Reuben, the oldest brother, he didn't want his brother's blood on his hands, so he convinces them instead, let's throw him in a pit instead and not kill him. Later on, as the, after they had thrown Joseph in a pit, they saw some, some slave owners coming and they thought, you know what? Let's go ahead and benefit from our envy. How gross is that? Not only were they trying to get rid of their brother, but now they're wanting to get some profit off of their envy and their hatred. So they pull Joseph out of a, the pit and they sell him to the slave owners. So Joseph, I'm not gonna go through the whole story, but Joseph, many of you know it, literally goes from being a slave to being a servant in Potiphar's house, back to prison, and finally from prison to the palace. His brothers and his father did eventually bow to him. And all of the things that happened in the dreams did come true. But look at what Joseph had to endure to get to the palace. Look at what he had to go through to get to the palace. He had to endure slavery and imprisonment and false accusations and so many other things throughout the story of Joseph. He had to endure all of that until before he got to the palace. Often we see the success of the people around us, not realizing the pain, the toil, the hours of prayer, the many broken hearts that they had to endure on the journey to get to the palace. Matthew 6, 6 tells us that when we pray, go to your room and shut the door and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what is it selling us? It's telling us that everyone else sees the reward, but they don't see the hours of toil and secret prayer. And how many times for us are we envious of a person because we see their success, but we don't see all the pain and the struggle and the hours of heartache that they had to go through to get to the palace. We see them on the mountaintop, but we don't see the cross they had to carry on the way up to the mountain. And we become envious of people that we don't realize that their success came through all of, the, all of the trial and all of the struggle on the journey. Sometimes the way we rid envy from our hearts is to look beyond the person standing there and be able to see the journey that it took to get them to that point. Amen? I'm going to go ahead and jump to this point right here this morning. Well, let me just say this. If we notice in these stories, envy only comes to the surface with people generally who are on the same level as we are. 
Let me show you what I mean with that. In the story of Joseph, it's not his dad who is envious. It's his brothers. Right? In the story, in the parable um, of, the, of, of the workers in the vineyard, they're not envious of the vineyard owner who has much more money than they do. They're envious of the other laborers in the field who receive the same wage, right? So oftentimes our envy isn't for people who are above us or below us. Oftentimes we envy the brothers and the sisters around us, right? For example, in a church setting, now let me clarify this. There is not envy in our life group leaders that I know of, right? But, here, but here's, the, here's, here's the example. A life group leader rarely would envy the pastor for the church's success, but they may be envious of another life group leader for their success, right? So we rarely envy the person above us. Most of the time, we envy the people who are around us. Therefore, promotion of your brother becomes the great litmus test for the authenticity of your love. Promotion becomes the litmus test for the authenticity of your love. So we're gonna end today with the same, in the same vein that we ended last week. How do we conquer envy? Corinthians tells us, love does not envy. Love does not envy. How do we overcome envy? We overcome envy with love. And how do we know where our love level is? When our brother gets promoted. How do you respond? What is your reaction? What is going on on the inside of your heart when the person next to you gets promoted and you don't? Love celebrates that promotion, realizing that just because good has come to them does not disqualify me for good. Love says, love doesn't look at this with selfishness, wanting to know what I can gain out of it. Love instead celebrates the success and the goodness offered to my brother. Envy, on the other hand, is self-seeking. Envy, as we've spent much time this morning talking about what this looks like, envy causes us to hate our brother because of the good that has come into their life and for no other reason. So how do you overcome envy? You overcome envy with love, with love. And promotion then becomes the test of where that love is. We conquer envy. To conquer envy, we crucify it with love. When we step more deeply into loving each other like Christ loves us, then envy can no longer corrupt our hearts. Listen to that. When we step more deeply into the love, we talked this morning in Sunday school about identity, right? That's this, what the series is on, is discovering your identity. And we talked this morning about stepping into your identity. The more you step into the identity that I am the beloved of God, that, I, that God loves me with the same love that he loves Jesus, when we step into that identity, envy has no room and no place in our hearts. 
because there is nothing more valuable. There is nothing else to attain when we have attained the love of God. And so when we fully can step into that reality, into that identity, that you are the beloved of God, that God loves you with the same love, that he loves his own sinless son, Jesus, when we can step into that reality, there's no place in our hearts for envy. Then we can genuinely look at our brother who is succeeding and look at our sister who is being promoted and who favor is coming on. Maybe the, the, the coat of many colors is being placed on their shoulders. We can look at them and not hate them, not despise them and not be jealous, but we can look at them with genuine love and celebrate their success because God's goodness is towards me as much as it is towards them. Amen. So how do we not envy. We crucify envy with love. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.